Genesis chapter 27, verses 18 through 34. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. Tonight we want to begin looking at another figure from the, uh, the Bible. Jacob, in the book of Genesis. And Jacob is, as we're going to see very quickly, a very, very, very contemporary sort of figure. He's easier for modern people to relate to than Abraham or David or even David. Uh, Jacob has more struggles, more failures, more doubts uh, than anybody, practically. He's the, he's, uh, the most unheroic hero in the Bible, if you want to call him that. And uh, to put his story in context, and to put this story in context, we're going to spend several weeks looking at the sweep of his life. To put this story in context, we've got to remember the book of Genesis and what it's all about. First part of the book of Genesis tells about, first 11 chapters tell about how the human race is spiraling down into greater degrees of violence and degradation and, and evil. And uh, then in Genesis 12, God comes to one man, he comes to Abraham, and he says, I'm going to save the world through your family. How do you like that? I'm going to save the world through your family. And he says, I want you to teach your family my ways, and your, I will make your family into a new humanity, a, 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 a new society of human beings who walk in my ways, a community of peace and justice. But... He says, in every generation, 
there will be a messianic seed. Because someday, out of your people, out of your family, will come one person, one figure, one of your descendants, one of your seed, who will be the Messiah, who will, who will end sin and death in the whole world. And therefore, in every generation, one child will bear the messianic seed. One child will be the leader of the clan, will be the head of the family, uh, will teach the family to walk in God's ways, and then will pass the faith on to the next generation, to the next seed, to the next bearer of the messianic seed, and on and on and on, until one who comes who is the sea seed, the prophet, the priest, the king, the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, when Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, one of them was the son of prophets, one, promise. One was the bearer of the messianic seed. Now, Isaac marries Rebekah, and she has twin boys, Esau and Jacob. First one out of the womb, therefore the oldest, is Esau. Second one out of the womb, therefore the younger, is Jacob. Who is the bearer of the seed? Who is the son of promise? Well, this narrative that we gave, uh, we read, Mindy read, and we printed here, which is sort of part of a very long narrative. It starts at the end of chapter 26 and goes all the way into the beginning of chapter 28 gets us to the answer because at the end of Isaac's life uh, in the beginning of the chapter actually that we didn't print in verse 1 he's, uh, it says that Isaac is very old he's near the end of his life he's not sure when he's going to die he's also uh, completely blind and he calls to himself Esau and he says to Esau Esau my son go out hunt for some game uh, and then fix up the game in the way I like, fix it into a meal for me, bring it to me, and I will give you the blessing before I die. Now, he goes, but Rebecca overhears it. Rebecca, the wife. And Rebecca is furious that Isaac has chosen Esau rather than her favorite child, which is Jacob. And she is furious. She goes to Jacob and she says, I have a plan. I'm going to dress you up as Esau. I'm going to put his clothes on you so you'll smell like Esau. I'm going to put goat skins on your uh, hands and your neck so that you're hairy. Uh, he's, Jacob was a smooth man. A hairy, and therefore you feel like Esau. And then last of all, we're going to fix up some food just the way I, uh, Esau cooks it so you'll smell like Esau. Then go in and get the blessing. Jacob's scared. He says, what if my father finds out and curses me? And Rebecca shows, uh, says a very chilling thing. She says, my son, let the curse fall on me. I will let the curse fall on me so that you can have the blessing. Now, that's the introduction to what, we, what happens here. And he, I must tell you, and I'll get right to that, our concept of blessing, our English word blessing, is so wimpy and so weak and so shallow that we really cannot understand this narrative at all. At all. You may have read it before or heard it before, but until you get a, a much richer understanding of blessing, what that word means, you can't understand this text because this is all about blessing. This is, this is going to show us the power of blessing, why we all need blessing, how we usually try to get it and it doesn't work, and how we can find our blessing. This text tells us the power of blessing, and secondly, the deep need we all have for blessing, 
The third thing, how we usually try to find it and it doesn't work. And then last of all, we'll learn here something about how to find our blessing. Now, first of all, let's talk about the power of blessing. We have to, right away, we have to come up with, against the fact that we don't really understand this word very much. Uh, I, was, I began studying the life of Jacob this summer, getting ready to bring it to you, hopefully in an illuminating way, this fall. So I was reading it this summer and studying it this summer. And when I got to this passage, I came to realize I have no idea what in the world this blessing is. Because, uh, first of all, I noticed that Rebecca and Jacob thought that they could steal it. Now, of course, Rebecca and Jacob knew that as soon as they were out, and as soon as he'd gotten out of there, that Esau was going to show up. And when, he, when Esau shows up, Rebecca and Jacob knew that within minutes after Isaac pronounced the blessing, Esau would show up and Isaac would know what had happened. And what's interesting to me, it, it, it amazed me that Rebecca and Jacob thought this thing could be stolen. And it also amazed me that Isaac and Esau, as you see near the end of the passage, felt it was stolen. Why are they so upset? See, I was reading this and I was saying, well, now why doesn't Isaac just call Jacob back in and say, I take it back? <laughs> I didn't know it was you. You fraud. You crook. All of my good wishes and all of my prayers for you and all of those wonderful things I said and all those compliments I gave you, I take them all back. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean any of them. And that would be that. I came to realize it's clear that they don't feel that this can be taken back. Or at least it was clear that my idea of blessing, which is just a sort of a, a warm feeling <laughs> that comes from telling other people how nice they are. You know, I tell you how nice you are and you say, oh, you've blessed my heart. And that's the English word and that's what we mean. And I said, well, how in that world, you know, obviously that wonderful feeling that Isaac gave to Jacob, he could take back pretty quickly. <laughs> he could just bring it back and say, I take it all back. You're terrible. You're awful. You're a crook. I never want to see you again. And that, it would take it all back. And I realized they couldn't take it back. Why? What is blessing in the Bible? What is this thing that is so powerful? Is it a will? Last will and testament. Well, you know, there's a little bit of that in there. You notice when he does the blessing down in verse 29, he says, Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. And that's like a will. You can do that. You can say, I give you the legal, uh, I give you the uh, right, <laughs> you know, I give you the rights to be the head of the clan, okay? And that sort of thing. But what about this other stuff? May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches, richness and abundance of grain and wine. Now you say, oh, well, that's just a kind of a prayer. You're just saying, oh, I hope that you're prosperous. But if you go on past the passage where we have... Uh, printed it. If you go on to verse 37, when Esau says, bless me too, bless me too. You know what Isaiah, why Isaac says? He says, how can I do that, Esau? I've already given him wine and grain. Well, how can he do that? I've already given him a successful life. How can you do that? And my, your first response is, this is a primitive, these are primitive people. And, and he, he believes it was some kind of magic incantation. No. Counselors tell you, counselors know. They do. Therapists know. And you do too. One of the commentators puts it like this. There's a Hebrew scholar that comments on this passage and says, the narrative, this narrative presumes that symbolic actions have genuine and abiding power and that spoken words, especially of a parent to a child, shape our human life. Words here are not a matter of indifference which may be, which may be attended to or not as is convenient. Let me put it this way. If I could uh, 
reshape the old nursery rhyme along biblical uh, lines. It would go like this. Sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can make or break my very soul. Don't you know even offhanded comments that have been made to you over the years? Words of affirmation and blessing? or words of condemnation and criticism and cursing that have moved into your life and they're still there, they're still operating like a power. You know that. They're still in there programming your self-appreciation or your lack thereof. You know that. Words have a power to them, especially words of affirmation and valuing or condemnation and cursing. They pass into you. They become part of you. They shape who you are. The, ancient, the ancients knew this. And if even offhanded comments can pass into you, you know, sort of almost casual comments can pass into you and just hurt you and ruin you or, or lift you up and, 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 and comfort you and sweeten your life, you know, for years and years and years. If even offhanded comments can come in, how much more words that are put forth in a authoritative climactic session, setting like a deathbed blessing. So the fact of the matter is that blessing is two things. Number one, it is an accurate spiritual discernment of who this person is, what God has made them, what gifts God has given them, who they are, or what they're becoming, what God is making them. It's a deep spiritual discernment of who the person really is. If you look at the blessings to Ishmael and to Esau, there's, there is one here. It's a sort of lower-level blessing, but it comes from Isaac to Jacob, to Jacob's blessings of his children on his deathbed in Genesis 48. When you look at the blessings, you will see it's not just a will. It's not just good, good wishing. It's discerning who they are and then, using, then choosing powerful gestures and words to affirm, encourage, and empower the person toward being what they've been made. It's looking into somebody and discerning who they really, really are and then using very careful, carefully chosen, powerful words and gestures to affirm who they are and encourage them in who they are and to empower them to be who they are. And if you've ever been blessed, you'll never forget it. If you've ever really had somebody make use of this sort of spiritual, uh, the spiritual power of a wise, discerning person who God helps to look deep into who you are, to discern what God is doing, to affirm it and empower you to get there and encourage you, you don't forget it. And Isaac realizes, and we're going to get to that, that what he did had a power of its own. It wasn't just well-wishing. He was affirming Jacob making him somebody or helping him to become the person that God has created him to be. There's the power of blessing. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is that we deeply need this. That our lives are distorted without it. That we're going to just wrestle forever. The struggle for blessing is the theme of Jacob's life. And you're going to see when we get to the climax of his life, which is that famous strange scene in the dark when he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and we're going to get into all that. It's a fascinating subject. Why is he holding on? Why is he holding on even till daybreak? Do you remember? What does he say to this mysterious figure that he begins to realize is not just a human being? I will not let you go until you bless me. Nobody can bless themselves. 
Jacob comes to Isaac desperate for blessing and the poignancy of it is in this in the very very beginning of the passage that we have uh, uh, printed for you when Isaac hears Jacob come and he says who is it well in Hebrew he's literally saying who are you he's a little surprised he doesn't think Esau should be back so soon after all he has to go out and hunt this stuff and and you know cook it up so he's a little surprised so he says who are you and Jacob said to his father I am Esau your firstborn later down in verse 32 Isaac asks the real Esau who are you and look carefully the commentators all point this out I am your son he answered your firstborn Esau in other words when you ask Jacob who are you he says I'm Esau your firstborn when he asks Esau who are you he says I'm your firstborn Esau and Robert Alter the great uh, Jewish scholar and, and uh, expert in Hebrew narrative says the last word in the sentence is the focal word it's the emphatic word and what's, what Jacob is saying is, he's getting by the little lie quickly, Alter says. Robert Alter says, he gets by the lie real quickly. I'm Esau, which isn't exactly true. But then he comes to what he really wants to say, I am your firstborn. In that patriarchal society, in that patriarchal society, in that hierarchical society, the oldest son, not sons, not daughters, and oldest son, not any other son, was the one who got the lion's share of the wealth and the lion's share of the inheritance. And as a result, the father in that patriarchal society looked at his firstborn and doted on his firstborn because, you see, the future of his name, the future of his family was all wrapped up in that firstborn. And therefore, everybody else was ignored. All the daughters were ignored by comparison. All the other sons were ignored by comparison. And we know this because we're told in Genesis 25 it says the boys grew up and Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the open country while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents Isaac who had a taste for wild game loved Esau but Rebekah loved Jacob Esau was a strapping guy who had you know skill with the weapons and, he, and Isaac loved that maybe he wanted to be like that himself he saw himself in Esau he was his firstborn See, Jacob wasn't the man's man was he probably smaller, stayed with his mom, stayed in the tents. And so Isaac, over the years, doted on Esau and gave Esau the informal blessing of the firstborn. What's the informal blessing of the firstborn? The blessing of the firstborn is to have the most powerful person in the clan, the father, looking at you and saying, no one's like you. I love you more than everybody. You're special. It's to have <clears throat> the unique valuable person say to you you are uniquely valuable to me wow and Jacob why is Jacob exploiting his father why is Jacob risking what he's doing why is Jacob doing this very risky very cold very calculating thing he tells us right here he says I should be the one that you've been doting on I'm your real firstborn I could be the head of the family I can do this job not my impetuous shallow you know temperamental brother I'm the one that you should have been loving all these years give me what I want give me blessing smile on me dote on me Say, bless me wow and I'll tell you what you got here what you have here is a picture of every human being we all want the blessing of the firstborn and here's what I mean even though when Jake, uh, Isaac gave favoritism to one kid over the other 
it hurt everybody. It poisoned everybody's life. Look at Jacob. He's a cold, calculating, manipulating, opaque, insecure person. Look at Esau. From what we can tell, if you read all the narratives, he's sort of a, you know, a, sort of a happy-go-lucky person. He's a much more likable person than Jacob, but he's shallow and he's impetuous and he's temperamental and he's spoiled. So Isaac's been poisoning his kids by giving the firstborn blessing to Esau all along informally, and now he's calling him to give it to him formally. But you know what? We all need. You know what? We, we don't want to be a line of clones having sort of general love from general people. We want uniquely valuable people, especially we, we want the person or persons that we most admire in the world to look at us and say, there's nobody like you. We want that. There's no one like you. I love you more than anyone else. You are special. You are unique. And Jacob just wanted that so, so much. And I want you to know that you cannot bless yourself. You can read little booklets and pamphlets and listen to TV talk shows and say, you don't need to take your value from anybody else. You decide if you like yourself. You know, your, your self-worth should come from you. Forget it. It can't happen. There isn't anybody who says, everybody in the world thinks that I'm stupid. That doesn't matter. I know I'm smart. It's not going to happen. You have to have a smart person say you're smart to feel smart. You have to have a good person tell you you're good to feel good. You've got to have blessing from the outside. And we need people that we value to come and say, there's no one like you. That's the blessing of the firstborn. That's that blessing that came to them in that old patriarchal hierarchical society. And the way they did it distorted people's lives. And yet we all need something like it. We deeply need blessing. So the first thing we see is the power of blessing. The second thing we see is our deep need for it. We deeply need to have people come and somebody come and give us blessing. The third thing is, Jacob is a frightening, I mean, it's frightened me because I've never seen it until I began studying this. Uh, I've, I've, you know, read the text for years. Uh, Jacob is a frightening picture of how most of us try to get blessing. We dress up as somebody else, somebody we're not. I mean, he had to, didn't he? He dresses up like Esau. He gets hairy like Esau, you know? He, you know, he, maybe, you know, he, 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 I'm sure, I'm sure the clothes were too big for him, but he did every, he came in, probably tried to lower his voice, didn't quite do it, did it? You know, Isaac keeps saying, you know, you smell like Esau, you taste like Esau, you feel like Esau, there's something about the voice. He probably tried to, he, he dressed up as Esau, why did he have to do that? To get blessing, he couldn't be himself. He couldn't. The, his Jacob self hadn't worked, had it? He was little, he was domestic, he was smooth. He couldn't get the blessing from the one who he most wanted it from, his father. So he dressed up like somebody else. He became somebody else. He hid. Now, I would like to suggest to you that we're all doing that. How are you getting blessing out of people? How are you getting blessing out of the world? How are you getting blessing out of others? How are you doing it? How are you getting the thing you really need? I'll tell you how you're doing it. We're not letting people see who we are. We're not letting people see the flaws. We're not letting people see the fears. We're not letting people see the weaknesses. And boy, is that unsatisfying. But here, let me give you some examples. Some of you, for example, might have jobs that you really hate. They're not the jobs you really wanted. They're not really, they don't really fit your gifts. They don't really fit your passions. They're really not who you are. You took it for the status. I talk to people in New York all the time like that. 
He took it, you took it for the status. You took it so that the world would, would bless you. You dressed up like something else. You know, you dressed up as a, you know, something that makes a lot more money when actually you're somebody who really would love to do something that doesn't make much money. Or I'll give you another example. Some of you, in your relationships, you, you, you know, you see somebody who's either smart or slick or rich or beautiful and you say, boy, if that person loved me, wow, then I'd be blessed. Finally, someone who's beautiful or, or, or polished or, you know, <clears throat> someone that I am attracted to, to look, to look at me and say, there's nobody like you. Oh, if I just had that. And so what are you doing? Some of you are literally dressing up like somebody you're not. Some of you are putting a lot of time into your parents, a lot of time into your polish, a whole lot of time into, into maybe putting forth a persona. It's not really you at all. At all. Some of you are trying to be somebody to your parents because you just cannot stand the idea that your parents, you can't stand the idea of not having your parents' approval. And so you're trying to be something that uh, you're not. Or some of you say, not me, not me. My parents wanted to be this and this and this and I hate that and I've rejected that and they rejected me and I'm mad about it, but it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter to me, I don't care what they think, I don't care what they think. Oh yeah, why are you so mad about it? You see, you are mad about it. In other words, the fact is that the lack of blessing from your parents or the lack of blessing from others, the, it's, you can't be yourself and feel blessed. And that's what we're doing. Can't, and oh. There's no doubt about it. One of the ways to get your blessing is to come to church. I better mention that one. Come to Bible study and dress up like a really good Christian. <laughs> right? Person that doesn't have too many fears. A little bit. We just share that. Oh, the Lord's helping me though. I'm getting over them. Uh, people who uh, don't have too many temptations. Uh, people don't have too many problems. We don't want anybody to think that we're a basket case or anything like that. So dress up. Huh? because we want the blessing of other people. We want other people to say, wow, you're great, you're special. So we can't be ourselves. And boy, it does not work. They're, I think, one of the most, you know, read, the only way to get one of these narratives is to read it about a hundred times. No kidding. And read it out loud and stress various, you know, try, try on different tones of voice as you're reading the dialogue to get some ideas of, of maybe what's happening. But one of the most, uh, I think, one of the saddest places is where Isaac says, kiss me, my son. It's the climax here. And when Isaac says, kiss me, my son, almost for sure, one commentator says, this is probably Isaac, is, this is a sly way for Isaac to have one more test. Because if he kisses him, he'll get a chance to smell him. <laughs> you know? So he says, kiss me, my son. So I, uh, Jacob comes and kisses him. And see what he says in verse 27. He says, and so he kissed him. And when Isaac caught smell of his clothes, he had Esau's clothes on him and the clothes smelled of the outdoors. And Esau immediately, the smell evokes the, the sight that he doesn't have anymore of, eyes, of Esau, you know, strapping, shooting the bow, bullseye every time. And he's thinking about this and he says, ah, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And he will bless you and on it goes. And at that moment, Jacob probably finally got the look on Isaac's face that he'd always wanted. You know, the radiant, loving, joyful look. He got the look on Isaac's face he always wanted to have. And he got the words from Isaac's lips that he always wanted to hear. Do you think it helped? Do you think it changed him? This blessing sat inert in Jacob's life for many, many years. It didn't change him. You know why? Because he knew it wasn't him. 
that, he was, was, that Isaac was loving. It wasn't him that Isaac was blessing. It must have been incredibly bitter to get, a, to get that close to finally getting your father to love you, but it's not you because you've dressed up. You've put on the persona. And you're not really blessed. When you've got to show everybody, I'm a good person, I'm a cool person. When you've got to hide your sin, you've got to hide your flaws, you've got to hide who you are. And all the compliments in the world are not going to sink in and fill up that vacuum. It's not. So what's the solution? What do we do? What's the moral of this story? Now, here's the problem with some of these narratives. We're going to look at the whole sleep of Jacob's life and after we've done this for about five weeks, it'll get a little clearer. But here we have a very bleak narrative, and it's pretty bleak. And it ends with everybody's life falling apart, by the way. And we'll talk about this next week a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, I, Esau becomes so bitter when he sees what Jacob has done and says, I'm going to kill my brother the minute my father dies. Rebecca has to send Jacob away for his life, away far to his relatives. Esau has his life distorted by anger. Rebecca loses the only one left in the family that she has a relationship, the one that she loves most. When he, she sends him away, he never sees her alive again. And Jacob himself, he's just been made the head of the clan, right? He's just been given the firstborn blessing. He goes away penniless. He goes away clanless. He goes away, when will he ever be able to come back? As long as Esau's alive, he won't be able to come back. Everybody's life falls apart. So what's the moral of the story? Well, now, I'm not trying to make you laugh here. I mean, this morning, they laughed every time I said this. And I said, well, one of the morals of the story is you better be better parents than this. Uh, there's no doubt that there are lots of lessons for families here. Lots of lessons. And some people would say, well, what we're supposed to learn here is look how you screw people up unless you're good parents. And therefore, let's make sure that we bless our children, all of our children, not just one of their children. Let's make sure that we get to understand who our children are and have insight into their particular uh, gifts and capacities and their strengths, you see, and their aptitudes, and we shower them with affirmation and confirmation of those things. Yeah, that's right. And let's do it all equally. Yeah, that's right. I got two problems, though. That's, that is right. You do learn that from this text. Parents, think about this. But that can't be the solution. Why? Number one. First of all, what about all of us who are already out of our families and we've been screwed up? And our parents have been every bit as, as awkward and as dumb and as their communication was as bad as Isaac and Rebecca and the favoritism was as bad as Isaac's and, and the situation is, and you know, you're just as needy as Jacob, you can see it. And you know, you're 35, now what? Can't put you back into a family and do it over. So what about those of us who are already screwed up? How are we gonna get fixed? And secondly, those of us who have had good parenting know this. We're still like Jacob. The problem, that the need for blessing is not just the result of bad parenting. Bad parenting makes it worse. Good parenting makes it better. But those of us who've had about as good parenting as you want from, from our parents, we know that we're out there, we're masquerading, we're covering up, we're afraid to let people see who we are. We're desperately going around trying to basically say, like a little child, bless me. Me too. Bless me. Dressed up, looking like the great banker, the great mogul, hmm? the great doctor, the great lawyer. Inside, you know, we're like a kid. Bless me. Me too, please. And, and our parents were great. So, why? What's the problem? There's a spiritual problem here. And the solution is hinted at by what Isaac says at the very end. 
It's a very strange thing. You only understand it if you listen to it and realize he's changing his tone of voice. Isaac says, he trembles violently and says, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? See, he's starting to realize it's dawning on him it was Jacob. And he says, he says, who was it that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And now look at this. And indeed, he will be blessed. Now there is a complete U-turn in the middle of that sentence. You know, that word indeed is like the word behold. He's going along saying, that cur, that crook, I can't believe he did it. I can't believe he came in and stole the blessing. And then suddenly he says, and behold, behold, he will be blessed. And he's saying two things here. And it's just a hint. It's not much, but it's pointing us in the right direction. Number one, he's realizing that God will work through the curs, through the crooks, through the failures, through the bad people. He begins to realize that is what God does. God does work through and bring his grace into the lives of the unworthy people. Of Esau and Jacob, there's no doubt that Esau is the more likable. In fact, one commentator says what's fascinating to him is when you read through all the narratives, Esau definitely is liked more by the narrator himself. The storyteller himself likes Esau more and therefore is finding that God's grace is working against even the taste of the narrator. There is almost nothing about Jacob that is appealing. In fact, you know, when we, if you were here when we went through this, the life of Abraham, we went back and forth, but you know, Abraham has good, he has good chapters and his bad chapters. You know, you know, chapter 12, 13, chapter 12, good. Second half of chapter 12, bad. Chapter 13, passes the test. 14, passes the test, you know. 16, flunks. 17, he's back, you know, you know, and so on, back and forth. You'll never see a good chapter in all these chapters for Jacob. He never does anything that's a good example. It is the weirdest person, in a way, possible for God to choose. Why? What is the moral of the story? The moral of the story is not, if you just have great families, God will work in them. And if you have bad families, and if you don't do things right as a father or mother or a husband or wife, then things will go wrong and God won't bless you. That's not true. God is coming and blessing the most screwed up member of the whole family. Why? Because the moral of the story is that God brings his scandalous intervening grace into the lives of people who don't seek it, don't deserve it, continually resist it, and don't even appreciate it after they've been saved by it. Over and over and over and over again. The first thing Isaac gets a grip on, and the first thing you and I have to get a grip on if we're going to deal with our problem of blessing, is that when God works, he works surely through grace. But then the second thing is, when he says, indeed he shall be blessed, he's not only saying, God is going to do this. He's also saying, I am going to accept it. See, when he says, indeed, he shall be blessed, he says, I'm not going to call him back in here. I'm not going to resist it. In fact, Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators on Genesis, puts it this way. He says, when Isaac says, and indeed, he shall be blessed, Isaac is expressing more than mere belief that the spoken word is self-fulfilling. He knows he's been fighting against God, and he accepts defeat. You know why he's been fighting against God? Because when Rebecca was with child, and she had the two kids in her womb, she went to a prophet. And the prophet gave a word from the Lord, and the word from the Lord was, the elder will serve the younger. And Rebecca comes back to Isaac and says, hey, God told us which one is the chosen one. God chose us, told us which one is the promised seed. The elder will serve the younger. It's the younger one. 
And Isaac has been fighting God all along. He wants to go the world's way, which says the oldest one. He wanted to go his own psychological way, which is I want the man's man, not the other one. And he realizes that he has been resisting the whole approach of grace. He likes the stronger one. He likes the, the better one. He likes the more appealing one. He doesn't want the outsider. He doesn't want the failed one. He doesn't want the marginal one. And he suddenly says, not only does, do I see God is a God of grace, I also, starting right now, accept and rest in that grace myself. I surrender my resistance. Now, how can we do that? Here's how we can do that. How can you get the blessing by accepting God's grace? You know, Jacob was wrong when he says, I'm the firstborn. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the only begotten son of the Father. And what that means is that Jesus Christ lived through all eternity in a state of firstborn blessing. The Father, who's the, the ultimate person, doted on the Son and poured love and, in, into his, this, his Son's heart. If you're a parent, you know something about this. Sometimes you see your child sleeping and you love the child so much and you want the joy of the child so much you have to walk out of the room because you actually start to ache. It's a strange feeling. It's almost a bad feeling because it's so good. It's so good it hurts. That must be just a dim hint, just the dimmest hint of what the Father saw in the Son from all eternity. But he left that firstborn blessing. He left it. And he comes to earth and he dies on the cross. And what is he doing on the cross? He prays and every other time except the cross he always says, Father, Holy Father, Abba Father, Our Father. But on the cross he says, God. You know why? On the cross he lost the firstborn's blessing. Why? Why? Well, Paul says, very simple. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dressed up like us and got the curse we deserve so that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we can be clothed like him. See, the way of salvation through your own effort, where you dress up, before God saying, I'm really a pretty good person. Yeah, I've sinned here and there. But honestly, I'm really pretty good. You're dressing up for God and hoping that God will somehow bless you. It'll never work. You're going to be every bit as nervous as Jacob was. Jacob was scared to death. He says, what if, I, what, what if I'm found out? The way of the gospel is Jesus Christ dressed up as you and got the curse you deserve. So that when I believe in him, God now accepts me as if I'd done everything Jesus has done. I mean, after all, Jesus Christ has just been treated as if he'd done everything I'd done. So that when I believe in him, I am treated with, this is hard to believe, I get the firstborn blessing. There's a place, and you say, how is that truth? How is that possible? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, there's a place that says, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, it's a vision of heaven, the church of the firstborn. The church of the firstborn. The church of the firstborn? What kind of family has nothing in it but firstborn? How can you have 10 kids and every one of them is the firstborn? It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. You can't even have, if you have quintuplets, one of them is going to be firstborn. Okay? But not in the family of God. What that is telling us is that when you, the love you experience from the Father, when you stand in the works and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, 
makes it feel like you're the only one in the world. He makes you feel like that. He says, there's no one like you. And it's right, in a sense. Because Jesus Christ said, those who believe in me, Father, love them even as you love me. Not sort of as you love me, not kind of as you love me, even as. When you have that blessing in you, when you know it, when you see him losing the curse, the, the blessing of the firstborn, so that you could have it, when you see him dressing up like you, so you can dress up like him, when you see that he's the, th he's the one who really did what Rebecca said she would do. Remember what Rebecca said? She said, my son, may the curse be upon me so that you can get the blessing. Well, Jesus, you know, she didn't even know what she was saying, but Jesus graciously does that. He says, I'm going to take the curse on me. See, he's our Rebecca. He's the true Rebecca. I'm going to take my curse, your curse on me so that you can have the firstborn blessing of the Father. Now, practically speaking, quick, number one. Whenever the Bible talks about the spirit of sonship, in Romans 8, 17, 16, 17, it says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. You know you're a child of God, so your spirit is bearing witness. Why do you know that you're a child of God? Well, it's just, what, you believe the Bible, you believe the gospel, you believe my sermon. And you say, I've heard that before. That's a wonderful thing. I believe that. But Romans 8, 16 and 17 says that sometimes the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. What that means is, go get the blessing of the firstborn experientially. That's what I'm calling you to do. The Bible says that what's available through the Holy Spirit, what's available through prayer, what's available now, not later, but now, is sometimes the Spirit pours out on you an, intu an intuitive assurance, an experience. You, when Jesus Christ had the Spirit poured out on him, he heard a voice. You know what it said? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am delighted. And when the Spirit of God brings upon you the Spirit of Sonship, comes alongside of you and bears witness on top of what you know inferentially, the Spirit comes in and shows you intuitively. What you know intellectually, you come to experience it psychologically and spiritually and emotionally. You need that. You need that every so often. You're not in control of that, but you should be seeking that. So the first thing is you need to go get that. That's available to you as Christians. To have, to hear in a sense, as you're reading, as you're meditating, as you're reflecting, as you're praying, as you're praising, God to say, you are my beloved in Jesus Christ and I'm delighted in you. Then secondly, only when you have that blessing inside can you really get outside and begin to bless. The Bible calls Christians to get out and bless. Bless and do not curse. Bless. And I want you to know when I was a younger man, I did a lot of blessing, you know. I was out there telling people, I, I've always been good at complimenting people. You know why? I wanted them to like me. That's not blessing. That's using. When you yourself have got a hole on the inside, all the nice things you say are not really blessing because you're not really discerning, you're not really seeing who they are, you're not really thinking of them, you're thinking of you. Unless you are blessed, you're not going to be a blessing. That's the principle of Abraham, Genesis 12. God says, I only bless you to make you a blessing. God blesses you and then you can move out into the lives of other people, discern who they are, discern what God is doing in their lives, find thoughtful, eloquent ways to empower them to become that. 
if you've ever experienced someone really blessing you, and by the way, this is not clairvoyance. I've had people walk up to me, and I don't know what church is this, this is supposedly the practice, and say, you know, I've heard three or four sermons, and I just see this in you, and I'm blessing you, and God's showing me this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and I say, you don't know me. This is, we're not talking about clairvoyance here. Where did you get this idea? You've got to know me to bless me. You've got to be my friend to bless me. But if you are really blessed on the inside and you ask God to help you with your friends, you have your children, you have your parents, you have your friends, you have your relatives, you have your neighbors, go out there and bless them. Be a blessing. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Let us pray. Make us people who bless, O Lord, because we have experienced the blessing of the firstborn. We don't want to be like Jacob. We want to be blessed so that we're able to let people know who we are. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to be afraid of letting them know. We don't have to, we don't have to uh, be afraid of... Uh, we, we can admit our faults. We can accept criticism. We can show who we are because we're blessed by you in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the, that kind of uh, power, that kind of love, that kind of uh, peace.